Welcome to Product Ops, people. Join me, Simon Hilton, as I talk with product leaders around the world about how Product Ops is growing and uniting product-led companies. Jasper Strait, Product Director at Elmo, joins me to talk about the difference in organizing product in the enterprise environment versus a scale-up. We talk about the different product skills that need to be weighted and how being transparent can help you grow your team. Welcome, Jasper. How are you? Thank you for having me. That's great. Um, do, you want us to, do you want to tell us a bit more about Elmo and you know what they do? Uh, yeah, sure. So uh, Elmo is a, um, yes, a cloud-based HR information system, um, which for those of that doesn't mean much, it's, it's mostly really about giving uh, companies tools to kind of manage their people processes and pay. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I think it's, it's fairly uh, interesting in the marketplace in terms that uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of companies out there who do that uh, in spots, so it's kind of spot solutions for um, certain processes. Um, whereas Elmo kind of looks at you know that the end-to-end lifecycle of, of you know your um, HR needs. Yeah, and and the reason we uh, we wanted to talk today was you know you've had a lot of experience outside of Elmo, um, most recently at IAG, correct? Yeah, so I'm I'm fairly fresh into. Uh, Elmo, so I think I think we're a couple months in now. So, <laughs> so coming coming off, um, you know, fairly large, um, big, ugly enterprise into that more scale environment. Yeah, and uh, I thought that would be really interesting because organizing product ops in those two different scenarios it looks quite different, um, and really kind of even understanding what the problem and and you know uh, before you get to any sort of solution is important to understand. But how did you you know how did you come to you know to product in your career? Can we start with that? Uh, yeah, totally. Um, so, look, I, I think the joke is really that um, I've I've spent um, time in companies from you know three people big to to the forty thousand um, employees type of scale. So, um, I, I'd like to think of myself as a bit of a generalist, right? So, um, when you think about um, the kind of early parts of my career, not not all of them even had the product title, but they were all kind of product related. So. Uh, things I'm referring to is, you know, early back in the day, we were kind of referred to as producers, but essentially doing that kind of um, customer facing product management type of stuff. Um, so I've moved across a lot of different um, industries, if you will, um, and, and size um, pieces. So uh, anything from kind of telcos to tech to uh, construction to financial services. Um, so, so a bit of a jack of all trades. And what did you find the the role of product was? You mentioned that how you know it used to be called a producer, and we hear this quite a, from a few people. Like, how have you seen product change over that career, um, showing up at different levels of the organization? Yeah, look, I mean, I think we probably need to acknowledge that it's a bit of a, a buzzword, if you will. So, yeah. what what we see now um, is a, is perhaps an abuse of the term product, um, mm. and then it comes back down to you know what are what are you actually trying to do with that titling. Uh, there's a lot of um, a lot of it is is literally just talent grab going. Okay, we'll keep your product role because the best people in the market are after product mm-hmm. title. Um, but I guess going back back to to the the question, um, it's it's really about going. Well, we're trying to channel what the market needs, 
are and trying to figure out how we can take um, you know, our company and, and our resources on that journey to kind of meet those needs and, and build out those things. So whether or not that's um, what I kind of tend to think of as that um, almost, let's call it a full stack product management function where you're looking yeah. after the PL and the positioning and you know, everything from pricing to the experience to the, there's been a few roles where you kind of are far more specialized. Um, so you might be looking at, you know, the particularly, particular onboarding experience as part of a bigger ecosystem, or um, you might be looking at, you know, some of the, the underlying technology which allows for those solutions to be met. Um, so, so I guess big variation in um, what uh, you do day to day, but but I think the principles kind of remain the same, right? So, so you're yeah. trying to um, solve those customer problems. You're trying to solve that particular um, thing that's in front of you in the best possible way. Mm. I think I think kind of a parallel that's also happened there is kind of the rise of users, uh, human-centered design and and really the way that we solve problems. Um, and that's really kind of given an opportunity for product to have this conversation around, well, okay, there are various aspects that need to be brought into a good decision-making model in order to serve the market, um, really. And the, the thing that I've kind of really always wondered about and I find really interesting is how that's showing up higher and higher at a uh, leadership level. And do you want to tell us about your experience with that? Uh, yeah, look, I think there's we're at an interesting inflection point in the market, right? And I think um, you see... You see, you see people react often to when they, they see kind of a, a threat coming in. Mm. So traditionally, we've been able to kind of run off the, this is what I reckon type of business models. Yeah. Um, and you get, you know, your, your chiefs who kind of um, just know what the answer is and let's just go build that. Um, mm -hmm. But more and more, we've, we've actually, you know, seen that, that kind of historic uh, model fail and fail often. So there's the old adage of, you know, more companies have failed in the last 10 years than had over the previous 50 or something along those lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't remember the, the, exact average, one, the but, um, average tenure of a 14, 500, 500 company, I think has dropped from like 45 to 12 years or something like that. So yeah. There you go. Yeah. So so I think it's one of those ones where um, as as kind of uh, leadership sees disruption in the market, they actually pay attention. And that's quite exciting because that, that actually means that you get to see um, the companies who are willing to go on that journey and, and kind of transform themselves towards that kind of... Um, well, bringing in that, that type of process and being product-led and, and you know, running through you know, what, what is that human-centered design. Um, if you see that willingness, then you can see great transformations and, and really interesting stories, but you also get to see organizational resistance. Um, and so there's, there's been certainly some companies I've been part of where um, it's very difficult to motivate people um, because ultimately they didn't care because 20 years um, they'll be retired and the, the disruption sometimes didn't feel like they were close enough to them. But the ones which, which you could see it very closely on the horizon, um, you could see a certain um, motivation <laughs> that comes with that um, and a, a motivation to try new things and change and, and, and do those things. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's very, very interesting that what you said there around uh, you know, disruption and whether you care a lot. I mean, because in, in these larger organizations they have been around for decades upon decades and things have worked. Um, but uh, it's, it's interesting to see how product leadership is showing up higher and higher inside these organizations as they do, well, ones that do take it seriously, as you're saying, 
are saying, well, no, actually we do need to be much more customer focused. We do need to be much more product led. And these, you know, these words are showing up. And um, I found it really quite a, a moment when I, when the, I think it's the latest CEO of LinkedIn is actually a CPO, like a chief product officer. Hasn't come from a CFO. It hasn't come from a sales background. It's much more focused on, no, the product has to continually deliver value in the market and to evolve for us to be successful. So, I mean, it's really interesting the way that you, you've talked about the way that it's not only just about the people who want to go on the journey with you, but there's plenty of people who don't want to go on the journey with you. I mean, what was your experience like? I mean, how do you see that way, how that, that, that challenge of organizing product in one, in that environment versus the scale that we are now? Uh, yeah. Uh, so, so look, I think changing people is like changing hearts and minds is difficult. Um, yes. And so, and it takes, takes a lot of time. So I think the, the, the big difference between being in a smaller environment is that um, people are more adaptable and they're, they're willing to change. I mean, when I go back to the really, really small ones, um, you know, you are, get to the point where you're living um, really on the edge and, and any kind of crucial mistake was the end of the company, right? Mm. Whereas the, the bigger you get, the, the wider that buffer becomes. Um, so, so, you know, the, the general rule of thumb is, is you know, the, the more people you have to bring on the journey and, and the more abstracted people come become, what's the word, more abstracted people um, are from the threats, the external threats or, or environmental threats, um, the, the less um, willing they are to change. So organizing products, um, uh, it's, yeah, it, it, it's one of those um, ones where um, I think just the main difference is the um, the scale of the amount of people you have to uh, get <laughs> get on board with the changes. Um, mm. I'm trying to pick my words carefully here. Um, whereas smaller ones, people people are um, far more open minded and, and willing to to you know try try things. I'm not yeah. sure if that answers your question. No, it does, and I think a quote comes to mind, which is from I think it was. Jack Welsh, who said, you know, if change outside the company exceeds change within the company, the end is in sight. And I, you know, the, the challenge is right there that you're saying, like, there's a lot of change management. There's a lot of working with people. There's a lot of um, uh, share, uh, weaning hearts and minds, as you put it, in order to create an organization that's product-led and, you know, br bring that value to market. So that was that where a lot of your time was spent in, in your enterprise experience? Uh, I think the short answer is it depends. Depends which which enterprise and what the threats we were facing. But yep. but certainly a lot of them, um, you spend a lot of time uh, influencing, um, and yes. and that's the the thing you have to do to to really uh, look. I think the the same skill set is it's trans it's a transferable skill between large and small enterprises. Like you you have to you have to work on your influencing skill. It just becomes far more critical in the bigger environments. Um, because that's that's your main tool for change. You're, you're far less, um, you've got far less direct authority over things um, the bigger you get. And it's a, it's a classic thing where, you know, the smaller the company, the more generalist your people tend to be. Um, yep. And then you get far more specialization um, as you go. And, and the, the complexity, um, you know, exponentially jumps up, right? So, um, you know, if you've got three people, you can have regular conversations. If you've got 
300 people, then you need to kind of build some kind of structure to keep that communication open. And how do you balance that with the agility you need to change with the market? Yeah, good question. Um, so look, I think that's the thing which we often see, and especially um, when you look at things such as scale-ups is you tend to over-index on speed um, when yeah. you're in your you know, startup kind of stage, uh, which is exactly what you need, right? So you, you need to be able to kind of respond to, to the inputs that you get and, and be able to kind of get over the line yeah. as quickly as possible. Yeah. Um, as you start to harden up um, your, your uh, products, suddenly you need to actually make sure that, that, that you can kind of turn that into sustainable growth. Um, yep. So, which means, you know, you can't, you know, the classic move fast and break things starts to, to, to bite you in the ass um, a little bit. So that's, that's when you kind of have to start um, looking at how, um, how your tools can actually serve, serve more than one team. Um, there's, a, there's a bit of, uh, you know, make it up as you go along type of stuff that you can do when you're small. Um, yep. But if you can imagine one team, they can, they can figure out, you know, what are their ceremonies, what are their processes um, fairly unilaterally. Um, and if you think about smaller companies, you'll have a number of stakeholders who you can kind of just have conversations with or, you know, set up a, a Slack channel to kind of um, get that, that uh, uh, communication loop happening. When you kind of add 20 other teams onto that stack, <laughs> suddenly that becomes, un it becomes unmanageable um, from both the stakeholders, but also the product teams themselves. They'll suddenly go, hey, I'm not getting the time. Um, even if you can imagine uh, a customer being smashed by 20 different product teams, that's, that's <laughs> a problem. So, so then you have to start to invest in, you know, what's the infrastructure that we need around that, right? So, mm. um, you know, is there, is there a way we can kind of get economies of scale here to, to make sure we're not bombarding the same customers? Um, it's, or, or even, you know, um, what's the consistency that we can have in the processes to communicate uh, back to our stakeholders so they don't go, well, team A, our process is to email them. Team B is to send them a Slack message, and team C is to raise a ticket. So, so you kind of kind of start thinking about you know more alignment, which you know is, is it's, it's it feels like a bit of a growing pain, right? So, yeah. so people don't like it when you go from hey you're completely autonomous to actually there's some standards that you have to follow. Um, so it's it's that balance, um, and you don't want to kind of go completely in the opposite direction and then and go hey, we're going to have this really rigid framework and you'll have to follow it. Um, mm. it's, it's a, I think it's a really nuanced kind of conversation, um, but you also have to kind of get over that um, kind of notion that, that you, you can't just run as unilateral product teams. Um, and, and what that inflection point is, I, I, I think it's more art than science. Yeah. Um, you know, yep. can have a couple running their own processes. Um, you know, the question mark I've got in my mind is, is it when to get to five, is it to 10? What's the number of product teams that you have to start putting in that um, rigidity? And I think it's really one of those ones where you have to look at the, uh, the, the feedback coming from, from your various points. Like you, it's, it's a data-driven type of thing. So you go, you know, where, where are the friction points and, and you know, at what point do we start producing more and more controls? Yeah, I think you make some amazing points there because, I mean, on the front of the inside of the company when you're organizing it, you can have 20 teams or, or 10 teams or whatever it is. But on the other side of that looking glass, there's one product and, and one customer experience. So you really have to kind of be having that feedback loop to understand, well, how is our growth and our complexity actually negatively influencing 
the customer experience or, or the, the simplicity of the product and things like that. And maybe that's the feedback loop you need to, to be keeping on, uh, keeping the pulse on to really understand when is the right, when is it right to organize a bit better. And I, I really love coming back to your earlier analogy around, you know, different skills at different places and different things that kind of, I kind of think about like an equalizer, like sometimes you need to, and that's kind of with your team as well. Sometimes you'll need to be more into research or, or sometimes you'll be more into influencing, but that's, they're still all core skills your team and your you know, individuals need to have. Um, you did mention also like uh, uh, tools, which was really interesting because there has been kind of a, a real growth in that space for product teams in the last, even, even user experience teams and a lot of uh, things outside of pure development. Um, how have they helped with this organization? Uh, yeah, look, I, I agree. So, so the first caveat that, uh, that I'd put in is, you know, tools have to be married to, to, to process. Yes. And people often uh, go and on the track of going, hey, let's just get a tool for, for that. <laughs> we're, having, we're having a lot of pain in getting our, our user research um, all together. Let, let's, let's get a tool for it and there'll be this tool that, that solves it. And I think the short answer is that, that there is no tool which will solve it. You have to kind of marry it up with the process and mindset yes. um, yeah. together. Um, so with that caveat out the way, um, yeah, I, I actually think that tools are becoming far more sophisticated. Um, and, and that's a good thing, um, mm -hmm. you know, like obviously we're seeing our kind of online collaborative tooling explode with, with this kind of post COVID world. Yeah. Um, so, so that's one aspect, which I think is pretty exciting. And, and even, you know, I, I, I would suggest that that's going to continue long into the future, even when we're back to co-locating because yep. the, the power of those tools is, is quite impressive. Um, but also I think. I think there's a really interesting emerging trend of you know that that interpolarity between the tools that we use and it's becoming this this ecosystem so you, you're not doing your design work or your um you know your ideas funnel in the in a completely isolated man, manner and then kind of having to then have a separate conversation um with your development teams it's becoming a little bit more of a, a, a data flow between the two um and, and I'm talking in very agnostic terms because there's lots of tools out there in the market um, and lots of different processes that um, people will go with that kind of, um, I guess, that, that process of, you know, gathering research, um, put it through a roadmap and then into your kind of development piece. Um, but I think the, the interesting kind of piece, which is across a number of different offerings in market is their ability to talk to each other and the ability to kind of push information in and out of each other. Um, 100% agree. I mean, I, I, again, not, let's not, we're going to go into specific tooling, but I have actually witnessed in our organization and others the ability to see more of a straight line. Usually, you know, in user research land, you'd have all your videos on a file server somewhere and some notes in a Word doc stored on that same file server. But the ability to see how, and I call it, you know, not losing the why, how you see that why follow through from your research into your roadmap, into your development. It's, it's a bit clearer to see that, that whole thread um, with just five to 10 clicks, you know, between systems, if that is it. But that to me is immensely powerful because we've always talked about the customer seat at the table, but when you can actually bring that why with you and that customer voice all the way through the, through the development process, I think it helps you not lose that why. Yeah, totally. I think it's really interesting um, the the way we're seeing far more transparency in that as well. So, yeah. 
there's been a few instances where people um, have really opened up their companies to customer feedback. Um, and you know, there's, there's a few different incarnations of it, if you will. Um, so you'll either see the, the public roadmap or even um, you know, that kind of acknowledgement of feedback. Um, and then uh, you know, the, the, the feedback loop, if you will. Um, and I think that's really powerful for, for companies really to kind of give themselves uh, an edge over the competition by being very transparent and going, this is what we're, uh, we're about. And this is the stuff which we're taking in um, and, and here's the channels which you can actually be a part of it. Yeah, I think that's even, or even, it goes even more crazy than that. When I, when you think of kind of smaller companies, when a lot of them are setting up their own Discord servers these days, where they just say, hey, come talk to us in the public forum, tell us all about how you use the product. And it's a live conversation with the customer base, which is open, transparent, and um, really quite encouraging for that relationship. Absolutely. And, and I don't think we can emphasize how much of a departure that it is from your traditional, hey, let's go into a boardroom and figure out a strategy and never show anyone that roadmap. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's, and, and personally, I think it's great. I think it's, it's really opens up the possibilities of what we can, of how we can build products. Um, and, you know, I, I've always liked the, the idea of being very transparent, um, just even in your teaming, like, you know, I've, I've always hated complex hierarchies and companies and, and you know, um, information being withheld. Um, and so we're talking about uh, one extreme where, where you're being completely transparent with the market and, and the, the customers, but even as a process within product teams, um, building transparency really helps foster that alignment, right? So I, I think it's, uh, it's a really exciting time. And I think it can't be understated what you're saying there. Like just the general default to, we, we, we default to open, we default to, you know, learning those kinds of things is a very, is it quite a mindset shift um, from what's always been company confidential kind of thinking. And let, let's be clear, there's absolutely a space for that whole company confidential um, understanding, but the more open you are with your customers and inclusive you are in the, in the development process, uh, probably the, the more goodwill you're going to have with that customer base. Yeah, totally. Um, I, I think, it goes inside and outside of companies that, that um, trust building. Um, there, there's a particular kind of technique, which, well, perhaps not a technique, but there's a bit of a rule that I've always applied in some of the teams that I've managed, which is um, a real kind of aversion to using the business as this abstract they type of statement. So yeah. I'll give you an example is people go, oh, the business wants X done, right? Yeah. And, and so the first thing you go is, well, hey, you're also part of the business because you're a product yeah. manager for business. You couldn't be any more business than that. Um, but it, it's really it's really kind of interesting how pervasive that thing is and how many companies I've seen that happen in. So the business becomes this kind of all-encompassing, uh, all-powerful kind of entity that's outside of you know, whatever area that you're in um, and must be followed at all costs. But when you start to break that down, you go, well, hey, who... Who is the business? Like, let's let's talk about individuals and what their, their motivations are, or what their kind of perceptions or biases or whatever they might be. It really changes the, the kind of flavor of conversation, but it also changes the internal uh, perception of the team because you really have to encourage them going, well, you can't have an us and them type of thing. It's we're all in this together, um, and and you're actually part of this thing. And, and if you're not part of this business, then what the hell are you doing in here today? Mm. Um, so. I think it's it's one of those ones where um, silos are, are, are 
you know, going back to the scaling up um, and even into enterprise silos are that, that natural kind of tribalism that we get. And, and that's really, really hard to kind of overcome. But I think, you know, tying a bow in it, if we kind of go, well, that feedback loop and that flow of information, if we can kind of remove as many of the um, impediments to that as possible, uh, that really helps foster that piece. So it's a combination of you know, mindset, the tooling to allow for you know, that, that flow of information, I guess yeah. the loss of the process for, for um, people to kind of understand how that flows through, follow that. I think that's a really, that's a really strong, if you take one thing out of this talk, I think that's really, really important is even within organizations though, product can, can be seen as a black box. Like, you know, some ideas go in and some releases come out and those kinds of things. Yep. I think the real opportunity within, not only within the market, but within your organization with a product ops kind of uh, organization is to create a more open, to create a more transparent, to create a more inclusive development of the product. And when and that, when things are, and yes, we don't want to overstate the tooling, but when you do have a roadmap anyone can really click into, anyone can add a comment, ask a question and be involved in that, in the, the formulation of that, it does go a long way to having everyone in the business own the product, own the customer experience. And, uh, and that really shows up in the ways that you work together. I mean, I, I've seen it reduce friction in teams immensely when they just have a public viewable board where it's not it's not my roadmap it's not your roadmap it's our roadmap and we um we work on it together so i, I believe these you know this, this shift in in more open tools in the way that it shares information between different systems does really create a great foundation to that openness of the product development method and completely agree with everything you've just said yeah so how does research and strategy come into that? And we're always really interested because these things tend to be even more far off than a roadmap. Um, how have you seen them show up in here? And how important are they to be, just as we're talking about, available and and transparent? Yeah, look, it's, I was laughing as you were saying that because it's, it's so important and, and it's been one of those ones where I've seen so many different times. So, to kind of work backwards, strategy has to be so transparent. Um, I think, you know, good strategy should be able to be something that you can, you know, in most cases, with the usual caveats, um, should be able to go out to market with and say, you know, this is, this is what we're trying to do and this is how we think we're going to get there. Um, the thing which I think um, is probably the, the biggest challenge is that when people kind of, and, and as you get bigger and bigger, people get a little bit abstracted from strategy and from the research for that matter. I'll get to that in a sec. Um, and so there's this kind of thing where people assume that there's this kind of organizational knowledge. You know, everyone kind of gets it because they've gone on that journey with us. Um, but if you don't reinforce, you know, this is this is what we're trying to do um, and, and have regular current communication around it, people tend to either forget or a little bit further from you know the, the source of truth. And they start to reinterpret it in, in ways which you may not have intended that to be. Um, so, so I think it's super important to be very, very accessible at all times. The other thing which I think, you know, to, to go into the research thing is that strategy and research are kind of symbiotic in the sense that, you know, you can't, can't have a strategy without researching it. But strategies <laughs> are full of assumptions. Um, yep. And then you have to kind of test those assumptions. And then as you test those assumptions, you know, humans are generally terrible at um, making assumptions because we're full of biases. So a whole bunch of them will be invalidated and then you have to kind of feed that, that back into the strategy. Um, so it's a really, it's a really difficult one um, 
to solve. I, I don't think there's um, any you know, <laughs> silver bullet that I'm going to give you here today. Um, but no, I think I think you're right because being... there's there's patterns you follow in development. There's patterns you follow in product roadmap development. There's patterns you follow in user research. But in strategy, it seems like there's it's it's back to what you're saying before. It just depends. It depends on where you are. It depends on what you're trying to achieve. There's so much blue sky, blue ocean thinking there that um, it kind of makes sense. What you've also said that to just set it and forget it is not going to work. Right? It needs to be constantly yeah. evaluated and constantly updated with new learning. Absolutely. And, you know, I think there's some, there's some kind of fundamentals, which I'd say you kind of need to make sure that you have in there. You know, there's the obvious ones and, you know, there's different models for setting up your strategy, but ultimately you need to have, you know, you know, your customer, you know, what capabilities you've got in your company, you know, what, what's your story arc? What, what are you trying to um, build through um, and whatever your constraints might be. Um, and, and obviously things such as, you know, what, what are your, What's your competitive landscape look like? So there's there's a couple of things which you know there's a couple of dot points that you should hit, um, but then you know how much you flesh that out or, or what that looks like, um, I think is is a case by case basis. But I think within those, they're all moving targets, um, yeah. and I think that the, the key is that you go, oh, well, you know, let's pick on the competitive landscapes. You'll have emerging competitors, or you might actually move into a different segment and and have new competitors just by nature of how you've actually done some decisioning so you need to have that feedback loop that goes back into it um, you might do a bunch of um, you know assumptions in your strategy um, and you might run through your you know, assumption mapping into experimentation and go holy crap we've, we've actually you know assumed a lot of things to be wrong and mm -hmm. you have to kind of build that cycle back to the, the strategy um, things such as you know your service blueprints and and um, journey maps um, are super powerful tools but they're also mm. very um, susceptible to being that set and forget type of thing. So um, it's it's one of those ones where um, it's, yep, cool. It's part of the tooling and you've got to get the right tools and you, and you potentially have to get the right uh, tooling software to allow you to kind of make it flexible. Mm -hmm. But I think it's it's really, really important to also see these things as kind of living documents and, and setting them up that way and setting up, you know, all of your peers and everyone in the company to kind of see it in the same way to go hey cool we found this thing which was there's a gap in our strategy or we've you know we've found out that other thing and ultimately you know it comes down to that really learning mindset if you will um, and if everyone's kind of um, talking lots and and kind of progressing that thing that then then you're probably um, set up for as good a success as you can hope yeah and i think i, I think what it all makes sense uh but it's, it's only if we use lightweight planning and lightweight uh, strategies and things like that and, re and build into your processes regular review um, because, I, you know, it all comes back to maybe we don't know, you know, having that, uh, that curious mindset of, well, I don't know what the, it is, but this is what we know right now and we're going to recheck that assumption in three to six months time or whatever it is that you, you choose on that horizon. Um, so how does, how have you seen organizing this way improve, you know, your relationship to stakeholders or customers and, you know, general flow to market? Yeah. I mean, if I think about it, I think where you're ultimately trying to get to is what are you going to prioritize to do next? It's trying to build the best thing next. Mm -hmm. um, and I think strategy helps really put a lens on that. Um, and so 
if you're building a bunch of stuff which is not a launch strategy you should probably be asking yourself why am i building this stuff yeah um and so ultimately if you can get your story arc really uh set up to be razor sharp and, and to be really clear and understandable then you can have conversations with your stakeholders and or customers as to you know what what should we be building next right um it really helps kind of frame up the the kind of the well it helps you be able to really understand what what you're not going to build and and where you need to focus um and i think you know there's there's lots of prioritization frameworks out there for for product people to use and i'm not here to mandate any of them but having that strategic alignment as as one kind of input into how you do your prioritization i think is really powerful um so to your point as to how it's helped and how, how setting this stuff up has helped well if you if you nail your your kind of um strategy and you nail your storytelling around the strategy it really helps with then going through the prioritization process and and going well where and ultimately you know prioritization is a lot of it is is that influencing your, your both the teams you know doing the work but also the people with uh interest in it um it ultimately helps um you know get that alignment in in that thing and and, and um smooths out that i guess that process where you're not going to have some people going oh no i think we're doing x we should be doing x and the other people going we should be doing y um if you've got your storytelling right it's it's very easy to kind of um it, it makes it i'm not saying it's going to make it simple but it makes it much easier than yes and <laughs> otherwise to kind of have that prioritization conversation that summarizes it really well well that's it thank you for your time jasper really appreciate it and learned what it's like you know uh being needing to influence it at all those levels which is something i think all product managers whatever environment they're in needs to be aware of and uh used to bring everyone on that journey and and bring customers a bit closer so thank you for your time and we'll talk to you, awesome. talk to you soon thank you no worries Cheers. bye bye and if you're interested in improving your product organization in your role then why not check out the Association of Product Professionals? The Association of Product Professionals is a global industry body for product people to represent the people, practices, and advance the profession of product management. Become a member of the Association of Product Professionals and join the mission to align and uplift product globally. Go to productprofessionals.com to check out more.